0: he really enjoys using going through the nine steps and he enjoys using the music app. Yes. Can you just share a little bit about what you've seen with him enjoying the tutoring and also enjoying to read now?
1: Yeah, that it is, that still, uh, it kind of just takes my breath away and is so almost shocking to me when I catch him just reading casually. Um, when you have a child who, you know, couldn't memorize his letters, you know, going on a couple years working on that to reading four or five letter words, spelling, spelling difficult and challenging words that I think are even above his level. It's just, it still catches me off guard. And it's so, um, it's so amazing and fulfilling to see that. And I could see how, like you mentioned, how proud he is of himself. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think, I think we both felt very kind of hopeless because we didn't know what was wrong. We didn't know, you know, why these things weren't sticking. And so, yeah, it's, he, he actually um, enjoys reading and, and he's actually, I mean, for how much he's had to catch up, he's actually really good.
0: Hi, Dr. Marianne Sintron here. I am so excited to introduce this um, radio program to you. I am the guest with Pastor Joe Schofield with Raising Expectations. He's asked me to return and share a little bit about the research that we're doing um, to monitor the the, uh, brain activity of children who use the music app, with the reading program and people who use my reading program without the music app and also I give some suggestions of what kind of classical music to have your children listen to if they have ADHD or if they don't have ADHD and I'm I'm really blessed to be asked to return Pastor Joe has a real nice team of panelists he has Dr. Craig Thayer and Stephanie Thayer and I wanted to have Dr. Craig Thayer be one of my podcasts or YouTube um, guests because he's a surgeon who has dyslexia. So I hope you listen to this. I've had Stephanie Thayer on my YouTube and podcast. Um, she is a health coach. And um, Commander Rob Hansen is here today. So it's just a real nice panel with Dr. Um, Pastor Joe. And I'm just so blessed. And I I think you'll really enjoy this interview. And it's an hour long. So pause it if you need to take a break and come on back. I hope you like and I hope you share this. I'm glad you're with us today. Listen on.
2: Everyone faces questions and decisions that require insight and answers as we move forward personally, professionally, and corporately in all areas of this thing we call Life in America Today. Hello, this is Joe Schofield, and I invite you to tune in every Monday evening from 6 to 7 p.m. as we talk together and hear from key leaders of all ages and backgrounds about your questions. Interesting, informative, intuitive... But always encouraging. Tune us in on BBS Radio Network. Join Pastor Joe and co-hosts
3: Commander Rob Hansen, Nancy Hansen, Dr. Paul Hall, Stephanie Thayer, and Dr. Craig Thayer in Raising Expectations.
2: Welcome to this week's version of Raising Expectations, and as you know, our goal is to raise your expectations, to give you strength and encourage you for your family, for your life, whatever it might be during the week, and to pray for you and things that you are facing. Uh, kind of the unique thing about the program is we've got a co-host team that's a uh, Kind of a neat family, you enjoy getting to know someone, people say, who are those guys like the old Sundance Kid movie? So we always take just a moment to interview and to let you know who they are. And uh, first of all, as you know, we have Dr. Paul Hall. Many of you know by now, in fact, a couple of you even texted me this week on it. He is a retired pastor and a theologian, still a theologian during the week he theologues. That's a word we made up, but it comes in really handy. How are you doing up there, Paul?
3: I'm well, I'm theologuing.
2: You're <laughs> good, okay. Good deal. All right. Yeah. And Commander Rob and Nancy Hansen are on a break right now on a little vacation. Uh, a lot of good answered prayers have taken place in their lives, and we're thankful for those answered prayers. And then uh, uh Stephanie and Tank, Dr. Thayer and uh, Stephanie, as you know, they have moved from California to the state of Georgia, and they she is a Georgia peach and he is a Georgia Peach admirer. That worked good, didn't it, Tank? So the way we would do this. Uh, Tank is a, a surgeon, as you know, a trauma surgeon. When you have a need and you have a problem, something really happens. He's the guy that's there. So thankful for he and men and women like him. And then also we have his wife, Stephanie, who is a health and wellness coach across the nation, helping us not only to keep in shape, but to know who we are inside so we have the ability To follow through with those things. So that's kind of our team as we are coming at you tonight. And tonight we've got a really exciting guest. Hopefully you've read about it. I think many of you have gotten back and shared how you did follow through and read those things. Uh, I uh, I want to introduce to you our special guest as we begin tonight, Dr. Marianne Clinton, uh, the Sintron. excuse me. Boy, these glasses are getting to be old, Paul. Notice that. You remember these they are five years old. Think I'll turn them right side up. <laughs> Marianne, that'll work better. Dr. Marianne Sintron. she's going to share, listen to this groundbreaking research with dyslexia, helping children and adults to read and a, bit of, a better grasp of their life, the world they live in. She is uh, leading some intensive research right now where they measure brain activity with students using her special reading program, which includes music. I can't wait to hear about this, guys. And, And compared to students who don't use it, the things that they're discovering. And it's really going to be exciting to see this. She has a neurosurgeon, a neuroscientist, excuse me, doctrinal student four therapists involved in this intensive research. It's been going on a while now. And uh, the thing I like about it, one of the things she shared with me is she has the ability now, as God is leading her in this direction in her life, to turn battlefields in homes where it used to be so frustrating for families into playgrounds because the fear is being relieved. They're grabbing a hold much better of who they are or who their children are. And uh, she's going to reveal all these things for us, you know. All of us probably think that uh, some good country Western music is the best thing to learn from. But actually, we're going to learn today, especially in Georgia, Stephanie, you're going to get that there, too. It's going to be good. But we're going to learn today about classical music. Why it's the best for people who, who are dyslexic with ADHD? Now, if Rob was here, I just know right now he'd jump in and say, the same with classical education, Marianne. Classical education could teach a lot of people things, they'd get a better grasp on life, just like we're going to discover as you share your great facts with us tonight. So we hope you'll be encouraged. We hope you'll be lifted up. One person asked me, uh, Dr. Sintron, last time, she said, uh, I, you know, how? what's a simple definition of dyslexia? So I'm going to take a shot at what I looked up, and then you can really make it work for us better as we turn this. We are really anxious to hear from you tonight, and so many people are so glad you're with us tonight. You are a real blessing. But dyslexia in the simple term, you could tell me this is like Webster's Dictionary. It's a general term for disorders, folks, that involve difficulty in learning to read or to interpret words, letters, and other symbols. But it doesn't affect general intelligence. So that's kind of about dyslexia, what it is. And uh, we're going to launch in. we're going to give you the welcome. Again, this is your second time being with us. And we appreciate you taking your time to be with us. And I know an awful lot of people look forward. Let's welcome Dr. Marianne Sintron who was, first of all, Stephanie's friend. And now she's all of our friends. Thank you, Steph doing that welcome to tonight's program and we're going to open it up to you right now
0: thank you it's wonderful to be here (laughs) Um, I, i you know people don't understand what dyslexia is teachers aren't being trained how to they don't know how to recognize it and when they see those struggling readers they don't know what to do to help those children because they're not being trained and parents now are realizing that their children are struggling a lot more than they were led on to believe. So parents are wondering, does my child have my, uh, my dyslexia? Did it get passed down to my child or dad's dyslexia? Uh, how come the school isn't helping? How come I didn't realize we need to do some extra work? So dyslexia is that inability to read, write, sound words out, making that letter-to-sound connection. And I just did a little live YouTube talking about different ways we substitute sounds. Kids have to learn how to drop a letter off of a word and say the rest of the word. They need to know if you drop a syllable off, what's the other syllable. There's a lot of different, we call it phonemic awareness skills and drills that we need to practice with our students to help build that Phonemic awareness. So dyslexia is neurological in origin. So the brain can be retrained. I know Stephanie always talks about retraining your brain to eat healthier and exercise. And, you know, we can retrain our brain for that and to have a growth mindset, you know, positive mindset. And we can retrain the brain to read. And, you know, you've heard, maybe you've heard the plus, about the plasticity of the brain. So, um Our brain is so trainable. And while we weren't created to read like we are to see and hear, God did give us the brain parts that work together. And we can train those brain parts to read. And I like to share the story of when we inherited the printing press in the, you know, revolution, in the um, industrial revolution. A fourth or a fifth of the people, 20% of our people who were dyslexic back then, you know, felt they were stupid and dumb and they weren't because they were very creative people inventing and everything. But when reading became the standard of intelligence, they felt really bad. So we are really focusing on our early uh, school years now to early diagnose dyslexia so that we can help build those children's self-esteem, because that's going to unlock their genius. And and I've met a lot of genius adults who are dyslexic. 35% of entrepreneurs in the United States are dyslexic, and 40% of self-made millionaires in the United States are dyslexic. So um, we have brilliant dyslexic people. And Dr. Thayer had shared on the last podcast that he's dyslexic. And imagine a surgeon, people. We have <laughs> we have accommodations that we can let people go to college if they want to be doctors and teachers and engineers and architects, which are the main areas for dyslexic people. And they also do very well in the theater and the arts and as entrepreneurs. So I'm meeting so many genius people. So, we want to unlock the genius mind of the dyslexic child. Amen. Wow.
2: Anybody feel, just jump in, you know, just like we always do, folks. <laughs> Anything at all. Well, it, it,
4: it's it, it's it's like you said, especially when I grew up, that there's a complete disconnect. And the startling stat is that 20%, and the public system's not addressing it, you know. So, that's one in five. I mean, come on. Wow. So, Um, so I still remember third grade walking into a dimly lit class and the projector on the screen and Peggy getting up and suddenly reading words as fast as she could and next student, next student, I'm sweating bullets because I know I can't read that quickly. And I get up there skipping lines, reading backwards, missing words, whatever. And then next week I'm in the dumb class. So yeah. Reading was a standard, like you said.
0: Yeah, standard of you, intelligence. And,
4: your, your intelligence off of how well you read.
0: Well, and you know, I'm seeing so many adults who have pushed through, not ever knowing they were dyslexic until they they see the same learning challenges in their kids. And you have been successful. So you found strategies to get you through the classes and working with Talking a lot to your professors, probably, and your teachers, and having parental support, which is key. But um, I'm I meeting so many adults, and they ask, do I work with adults? And I do, but a lot of the adults are okay where they're at because they've made it. They've they've worked through dyslexic issues, and they're good. But some still want to read, but most of them want to help those children. So, you know, the dropout rate of high school um 20, 35% of high school dropouts are dyslexic. Wow. And so that correlates to the prison, the prison rate. Um, 88% of juveniles in the juvenile court system are illiterate. So I, I have two new books that I published. One of them is Dyslexia is the Trait of Genius. So I'm going to just bring this up now. It's a trait of genius because people don't know. People like Walt Disney... Steven Spielberg, Albert Einstein, Leonardo da Vinci were all dyslexic people. And then I have another book just off the press, Prisms of Brilliance. How much brilliance is locked behind our prisons? Because these kids got into gangs. They dropped out of high school, started trying to get attention, doing the wrong thing, and got into gangs when they could have used that creativity for something wonderful. So.
5: That's one of the things that horrified me when I started researching dyslexia because of one of our children. I didn't know anything about it Um, and to learn how smart the majority of the prison population was and how prolific dyslexia was. And it's heartbreaking because our education system says that every child should get a good education and that is not what's happening for the majority of these kiddos. And I always love to use left-handed, you know, you used to not be allowed to be left-handed. My mom's ambidextrous because it was not allowed. 11% of people are left-handed and we accept that now and we work around it. If you think of it in that way, there's no reason we shouldn't be doing that for the younger grades with a dyslexic mindset to allow them to thrive. And unfortunately, what I've found in a lot of our research, and we love Malcolm Gladwell you know, socioeconomically underprivileged folks will just accept what the school system says to them. They won't question it. They won't push for a 504, an IEP. They don't know to turn it in and writing. All of these simple, seemingly simple things. And so a lot of these kids that don't really have parental direction, it just continues on for them. And it's really unacceptable. So I need that book.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> Send me your new address.
3: I will. I will. I'm so excited to have it. Marianne, walk, so, us, walk us through the so that's, process. Uh, if, you, if, you have a, if you have a child that you suspect is having some yes. difficulty, yes. What, what, what is a, what's a good process that we can encourage parents to follow, or if you're, if you're listening in right now, uh, rather than feel hopeless, you know what, what steps can, can be taken?
0: Well, the parents can start working with their children at home. They could see, do they know how to rhyme words when they're four years old? We have a real neat trick because I work with students in my home about, I work with eight students. So um, we have a rhyming thing where we go like this and say we want to rhyme the word cat. We'll have the child hold her hand up. And this is at cat so we want this to stay the same when we want to rhyme words. So if we say the word "mat," we'll say "m at mat," and we'll say "sat at sat." So getting the children to practice this way will teach them that the ending sound stays the same. And then I really encourage the parents to cut out pictures from magazines of um, of a pet or a puppy if they want to call it a dog, you know, asking the child, can they say the first sound of what the picture is? And so that would be K or P, you know, house, huh, you know, get the um, children recognizing the beginning sounds and even cutting out pictures where the kids can categorize all the sounds with, with, mmm, put in a pile, all the pictures that have "mm," put those in a pile and, I don't know if it's um, the teacher in me or the parent in me, but I never want to throw things away. And even magazines, I know teachers always want magazines. So I, I always love when I see pictures, I love to just, I don't cut them out, but I sure would love to. But I want to give them to parents and say, look at this wonderful magazine. Another really fun thing I did was if you get a magazine that has a lot of activity in it, you can ask the child, point to the two, point to the cat, point to the cat next to the tree, point to the cat next to the tree, and then the bird in this, in the tree. You know, have them give them directions one at a time and then add another direction for them to point, add a third direction, and just start developing that the, the audit, the visual memory. And developing their memory skills, you can do that young and uh, I, I want to encourage parents to write a letter to their, their I'm good uh, we just talked about this today with one of my marketing coaches to um, put a letter on my website that parents can just download and just help them with that writing. You know I'm noticing my child is struggling with reading. I've done these exercises with her or him and they're just not understanding the beginning sounds. Can you you know, let them work with you after school a couple days a week and see if you can help them develop that skill? I'm concerned they might have dyslexia. That will get them maybe looking at it and trying to give some help.
2: Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> so
5: I love what you said about the images, because one of the things that I learned is that, and correct me if I'm wrong, but dyslexics think in more of a fluid pattern. So some of the the strong angles of letters aren't as easy to read. And so they actually have a font that's a little bit more fluid for dyslexics. But it makes sense because I always see that my son is very creative and actually a good storyteller. It's just in pictures. So I love that idea because I think that's something that they can apply, pl- apply the thought rather than having to associate it with the letter P. They might know it's puff, but they may not be connecting what that is on paper. So I thought that was a really good strategy. I think it would have worked pretty well for our son, actually.
1: Well,
0: you know what parents need to know is, It's, um, there's a lot of steps to teaching the children to read. So we always show the phonogram cards that that we have the students say the letter name and the letter sound. And then we have these little circles. They're called sound circles. And you can, these could be the bottom, you know, they go on the bottom of a chair, you know, so your chair doesn't scratch the floor. Those little felt circles, or Mm -hmm. you can get poker chips or anything that circles because the Tactile is really helpful, so you want them holding the circles, and we have the dark colors represent consonants. The light colors represent the vowels, so we'll build words, and we always want to say it and then hold our finger up for every sound, so we call it tapping it out, or you could tap a table, but for cat, we would go k, a, t, and they repeat it, And you pull a circle down representing a k, a, t, and then you point k, a, t, and then you underline it. So there's a lot of steps, and that's just step two. Step three, I actually have plastic letters where I have spray painted all the vowels black. Because you can buy letters, and they're different colors or they're two colors, but I like having the vowels one color, And the consonants are beautiful colors. That's part of the visual, you know, stimulation. And we build those same, the the words that we're building with the circles, we're also building with the letters. And then we have reading from a phonics book that I've created where we listen to music. And we listen to music in the left ear while the student's reading on the computer Or if we're meeting face-to-face, they're reading out of a book for about 10 minutes. And the music is going directly to the right side of the brain, giving it a job it likes to do because the right side of the brain likes to take over the reading and mess them up. So we put music to the right side of the brain, and the kids read the phonics very smoothly. And then we have them work in a workbook, still listening to the music. And we do a couple of phonemic awareness drills, like I shared at the beginning of this um, podcast, you know, dropping off a syllable, dropping off a letter. We do a couple of those drills. And then we give them a spelling test with um, my app. Uh, It's CDSM. It's Syntron Dyslexia Solutions with Music. It plays music in the left ear. And classical music in the left ear, which I'll talk about, and spelling exercises in the right ear. So the students take that until they get 85% mastery.
2: That's so interesting. How about
5: that? Is why classical? Can can my kid listen to rap in his left ear and still have it be effective?
0: Well, you know what I just... (laughs) when When I taught middle and high school, the students were, you know, they wanted to be empowered and they wanted to listen to their music. So I would let them listen at um, a soft level, whatever their playlist, favorite playlist was. And that was fine. In a classroom setting, you'll see the kids getting engaged in the music. So they lose that privilege. And that's kind of, you know, you give them an opportunity, but they lose their privilege if they don't stay engaged in the work. But I just spoke to one of our music therapists who's on my board. And she was telling me about lo-fi music and the the middle school and high schoolers love it because it's classical music, but it's electronic and Mm -hmm. it's hip hop and it's really cool. I I listened to it today before the podcast and it's very soothing, but it's called lo-fi and parents might want to write that down. If you have a middle school, a high schooler, I'm looking it up right now. (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, instrumental, and it's got uh, little clips, it's repetitive. The beautiful thing about uh, classical music is we have, there's predictability to it. Well, Mm -hmm. music in general, there's predictability, there's the repetition and stability. So kids, the brain knows what to expect, and it really slows down the ADHD. But when I was when I was searching for classical music for dyslexia, it's not up there. They they don't specify any music specifically for dyslexic children. There's a lot of classical music up there for ADHD. And what we've learned is we want the heart rate to be at sixty be- you know sixty beats per minute. So classical music will lower the heart rate to sixty beats per minute, typically. But what music is best for your child or your child? Try it. Ask them. Ask them what they like. And that's what the music therapist told me. She said, if, if a student doesn't like music that I'm using, then we let them try something else. And when I listen to my app, I love the music. And it's, um, we, li- I listened to, I put, I don't know, is this a good time to mention what those, what my f- top three would be?
2: Sure. Yeah. I just need to tell you, Marianne, that when I thought about this, I wanted to mention to Paul, we are so old, Paul and I, when you were saying that, I thought to myself, Mason Williams, classical gas. Are you still <laughs> listen to that? And I just relax and go in another world, even though it was like you're saying, a lot of computerized, but also had big brass and everything. And I thought, I can't wait to hear some more about this. Yes, yeah, so tell us more. Well,
0: that's- and that's interesting. I heard a speaker talk about the stringed instruments resonate with the water in our body, and that's why the classical is so nice with the strings. But the string could be the harp. And, you know, pianos have the strings inside or the tones. I mean, a lot of the classical music I look at um, is piano, and um, but the string, the harp, the violin, the cello. So, the top three that I put, which really calmed the brain, are George Frederick Handel's uh, Water Music. And these are fo- like four minute clips. There's um, Johann Ponchabelle, and he has Canon in D. Mm-hmm. And um, Vi- Vivaldi has The Four Seasons. And that's violin. When you listen to this, you're going to recognize these. We just don't know. People don't know who the author of these are, but they're all very familiar. And I have a list of probably 50 different um, musicians, artists. I listen to um, Tchaikovsky, and there's Brahms and Bach. People could email me from on my website, and I could give them a list of more. But they could just Google them and find out. You know, listen to them and let their child listen to it. That's excellent. If they yes. like it.
2: Oh, why. I'm thinking about the background of some of those authors and what they were going through. Maybe they did calm them down, Tchaikovsky and others with all the world turmoil. That's interesting. What do you think, Paul? <laughs>
3: wow. Hey, I have a question. Uh, tell me the significance of the left ear when you're listening with the left ear. And okay right brain right.
0: Okay. okay I love that question so um, when I w- when my kids were learning to read they learned phonics. Mm-hmm. One of my girlfriends child learned zoo phonics or whole word and that meant she was memorizing words as a picture So the picture goes to the creative side of the brain which is the right side. Mm-hmm. So when she needed to read, her left side language center hadn't been developed and she wasn't able to retrieve the sounds to build phone, church, um, grass. She didn't have those sounds there. They were in pictures. So there's two things that this addresses. Kids need to learn phonics so that it goes into the language center on the left side of the brain. But what's happening with dyslexic children, their right side of the brain is more dominant Uh, when When I did my doctorate research, I studied the left and right angular gyrus. We don't hear a lot about the gyrus, but the right angular gyrus wants to take over the reading and send calp instead of clap, farm instead of from, house instead of home. It'll even give similar pictures, but wrong words. So when we send music in the left ear, it crosses over to the right angular gyrus, And it gives it a job it likes to do so it doesn't get involved with the reading. There you go. That way it just soothes the brain so that the language center and the, so when, whether the students being read to, whether they're reading themselves, doing a workbook, they're putting those language, uh, you know, the science of reading, they're putting all those different, Phonemes and skills in the left side of the brain developing that skill. And those synapses, we talk about the synapses firing when you review something, when you learn something new. And I also tell my students, it's hard right now, like walking through the forest. You're trying to create a new path because there's 50 people behind you, but you're the leader. So you're trailing, you know, blazing the trail for them. It's going to be easy for them. So starting off, you're starting to make those pathways. But the more and more practice you get, it's going to be an easy pathway for you to be reading. Mm -hmm.
2: Man, that all makes sense. The way you say it, it all makes sense, huh, guys? What do you think? (laughs)
3: Is there validity? validity? Well, my son would study, and he he was a a good student. Uh, His listening preference was Van Halen. (laughs) <laughs> and it would drive me crazy. I could. I couldn't, I couldn't study and listen, you know, yeah. that, uh, that kind of thing. So is it different <laughs> from individuals?
0: It really is. You know, um, my kids were actually, when they were in elementary school, I used to work side by side with them and help them with their homework if they needed help. Mm-hmm. But when they were in middle school and high school, they liked to watch TV and do their homework beautifully. Mm-hmm. And they would get A's in class. So how could I argue with that? And I didn't realize back then that it was the sounds st- that helped them. They aren't dyslexic, but um, some people really work well with noise around them, music or just talking. When I was in college, I, always, I was this one that had to go to the library, the quiet corner, or go to a cubicle, study cubicle and be silent. Even when I'm, when I'm working alone, I don't listen to music. But that doesn't mean I don't love it. And I used to listen to music to relax after a after a difficult study day. It would help me go to sleep. And even now, I'll put on some music, and it'll help me, you know, go to sleep. Yeah, exactly. Cool.
3: So, Tank, can I ask you a question? Uh, sure. You mentioned that you were in the third grade when you had that traumatic sure. experience. Okay, when did it? When did it click for you? When did it turn over? to where maybe you realized, okay, I've got to work a little harder, but you realized, yeah, maybe this isn't a good question. You realized you weren't stupid. You were just different in in a, in a, in a way. Um, when did it flip for you?
4: I would say sixth grade, because uh, I three of us excelled in math. And then physically, I swam competitively from six and a half on. And the presidential testing thing the mile run Mm -hmm. the push-ups the agility stuff was kicked in and I killed all my bullies (laughs) in running so I had (laughs) two um, two milestones in my life in sixth grade Mm -hmm. with a teacher who was a green beret that um named a bopper after me so I was an entertainer that's how I got my ego back was (laughs) because otherwise I was defeated right so I was that class clown that the bopper the year before was named after a guy named Benson called the Benson bopper. And he had 135 bops. I'm going for the record. So I had 273. Hey, you're a thumper. You're a thumper. So, um, yeah, so you, but to this day, I'll look at an exam and I got five hours to take it and so many questions that I divide the time by the number of questions that I know I got to stay on track. And I've found mistakes when you do the Scantron, which my boys just found one. Oh, it's a bubble test, not a Scantron. So, (laughs) um, and you need a number two pencil, by the way. And anyway, so (laughs) if you miss one, then you just screwed up on time and you lost all this time. So to this day, I still sweat those tests. Yeah. Yeah.
5: One of our sons thought it was a, I said, what do do you guys, what do you think this is? The Scantron form, and one of them said, Maybe is it for keeping a golf score? And then the other one, says, <laughs> this is how you used to take tests. And I, I started laughing because uh, it fell out of one of my books, organizing books. But I realized as he talked, it, it, he created our son because our son would entertain the same. He would, do the same sort of thing. So you see certain commonalities and actually that son, his bedroom is right above ours and he puts on music. He has his, I don't know, top 40 and he sleeps with it on.
4: Mm -hmm. I can't Mm -hmm. explain it. Uh, I I was also ADD so I would drive students crazy by shaking my leg during the exam which would shake the whole row. That's where contacts board at that point, just like waterfall. <laughs> there were two boards. You, know, like, you bumped me the other day. Look, know, there they I'm are. You're know. shaking the whole so. table. <laughs> that is great. Here's a question. I was, if, so, Marianne, oh,
3: if I could ask you a question, Marianne, back to this. Uh, when I was in elementary school, I don't recall ever hearing the word dyslexia or anybody yeah. talking about it. It's just, you, you know, you just considered the the slow reader in the class as needing help. What does it do to a child? Uh, you know, I, I can still remember fourth grade, and we had a we had a particular girl that was uh, was a very slow reader. Uh, for who knows why, but the other students would always jump in and pronounce the words for her, or they would always uh, anticipate that she was going to have problems, they would speak to her. What, is that? what does that do to the to the child who's really struggling with dyslexia, if uh,
0: that's Everybody wants to help, right? Right. So, right. well, the younger student, I don't know, I see the kids have a lowered self-esteem when they're getting help with the reading. Right. But then I see other students who want the help, but when we give them the help, it would be better if it's in a one-on-one setting or a smaller setting okay. so that the other, because as the kids get older, they get more embarrassed and the other kids get meaner. Yes. So there's going to be more ridicule. True. And a lot of the kids with dyslexia have auditory processing deficits which means they're not hearing things at the pace the other kids are hearing things Mm -hmm. so they might answer a question after it's already been answered they raise their hand to answer the question and the kids start laughing at them and laughing at them so Mm -hmm. when um you know the students who try to read will read the words that they've memorized Mm -hmm. and if they see words they don't know they'll glance and guess at them and that's when teachers need to be very careful not to humiliate these students Amen. and call on them all the time. And, Amen. you know, they should they could let them know ahead of time that they're going to be called on. But that takes a teacher who's really organized mm. and methodical and follows a lesson plan. And very that's so supportive of a student. Let them know what they're going to be reading so that they can practice it. And then when they read it with everybody else, they have the mastery. But there's a lot of collaboration with parents and teachers to get that
2: going. I think they had to grow into that. I so appreciate what you're saying right now, because I remember, Paul, maybe you do. But in the eighth grade, I'll never forget Evelyn Woods School of Speed Reading. Speed Reading. (laughs) They made the whole class take it and it flashed across on the screen and you had to keep up with the words. And then they tested you at the end, right in front of everybody. I guess I'm kind of fortunate. If, if you want anything about math, don't ask me. beyond. <laughs> but when it comes to reading, I was pretty much of a speed reader. But it used to break my heart because the kids I knew next to me, who are my friends, they could not keep up with it. And they would grill it and they would pound it in. And they just destroyed the ability and the willingness of some of these kids. They wouldn't even come to school that day. A couple of the guys. Because they were so upset over that. I, and I hope that's gone now. And I hope education is doing what you're nope. saying.
0: They it's still, no, nope. there's still so many teachers. They don't have the people skill. They don't have the compassion. There's teachers who should be retiring that are staying in because of the money. Yes. And they just, they've lost all these skills that were being, we were taught in school to use. Mm. Um, hard-hearted teachers, you know. <laughs> I used to have a teacher who threw a student's books out the window because he had a messy desk. Oh you know, God. we talk about, ex- if that's called executive functioning when the kids need help with their backpack, they need help being organized, they need help uh, work filling out their daily planner, what when things are due, checking them off when they turn them in. Kids need help with all that stuff. And a good staff will... Have staff development that teaches, reminds Amen. the teachers to do that and support the kids.
2: Amen. Amen. Well, I feel better already, guys. Anybody else? <laughs> go ahead. I got yeah, to. So that,
4: yeah. that, that leads to my question. So you've just been elected or nominated or fired ahead of all schools in the United States. Okay. <laughs> what would you do?
0: Well, let me hear the, the witness of two people. There <laughs> <laughs> you go even in California, our Governor Newsom had set aside money for assessing early for dyslexia. I don't know what's been happening with that, but that was only going to be in the low-income schools. But I would have all the schools do assessing for dyslexia. There's, There's different levels of screens that they can do. And I've already talked to schools about you know, there here are some nonsense words or pretend words or non-words. Have a student see if they can sound them out. If they can't, that's a red flag. And then have them write sentences that are unfamiliar sentences. If they can't write these words, there's a red flag. They don't know two vowels put together. They don't know how to, <clears throat> when you have a long vowel, what the rule is, Um a lot of times they'll put the L in the wrong place. So there are some screens that we could just give the, give the schools if they would take the time to have the teachers take five minutes out of your day and do these screens.
2: Amen. Excellent. Excellent. Would you, se-
3: would you separate the students who have difficulty with dyslexia? Would you separate them from the general class or how would you handle that?
0: Well the interesting thing is the spe- the kids who get assessed they are um, if they if they're assessed by the school they will go into special ed under specific learning disability because they have auditory processing and if the school doesn't say this child has dyslexia they're not going to receive that intervention that is for dyslexia which is a multisensory reading approach which, Paul, addressing something you said a long time ago, we didn't talk about dyslexia, but it's been around since the 1930s and 40s and 50s. We didn't call it dyslexia until the 1960s. It used to be called Mm -hmm. word-blindedness. So um, those kids that are in special ed with dyslexia, I'd like to see them exit special ed. Let's get them reading and let them exit so that the kids who have other needs to be in special ed can stay there and then in the general population general ed we have um, still students who are not diagnosed or uh, the teachers don't know what to do to help these kids and teachers you know they have 25 30 even 45 kids in a class and they're just spread so thin and when they have those struggling readers They don't know how to take that time, how to instruct their aides to work with those kids. Um, So I I would want them in the general ed classroom, but I would want somebody to maybe, you know, pull them aside for 30 minutes and work with them with some drills and let them, because there's other things in English that the kids are learning, you know, the writing process and state standards that they have to meet. So mm-hmm. phonemic, you know, learning to read is an element, you know, first, second, third grade skill that needs to be taught And kids in fourth, fifth, and sixth grade don't know how to read.
4: So wow. <laughs> th- we're, we're taking it all in. Those Go ahead, teenagers. Tank. <laughs> no, we get passed along. So my elementary school... Was in uh, Cupertino, so it was near Jobs and Apple Computer, but he wasn't around yet. But they 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 were experimental. They did this reading program where you had modules, and they didn't know if you read them or you didn't read them. You just turn them in and get the next one, and like that's easy. <laughs> so there was no checking, no checking.
0: is that there. something? Yeah. yeah.
4: Yeah. Oh my. Well. And in fifth grade, I, I was a great plagiarist. I just wrote an article on. Um, Edison, and then I had a, an encyclopedia, so I could just copy it out of there. You know, and,
0: and... well, they check for that now. There's a lot of ways they.
4: I'm sure, they knew <laughs> that I was using words that were well above me. Yeah. So... <laughs> <laughs> Probably just the fact that I could
2: plagiarize. Yeah, (laughs) I think he feels better now, Steph, don't you? (laughs) I feel better just here.
0: (laughs) Got it off his chest. Confession.
2: (laughs) Yeah, right. In the third, fourth grade. Yeah, my goodness. Paul, any other
3: thoughts? Marianne, I I was processing this a little bit more. Does it help to talk to the children that have dyslexia to help them understand what's what's going on in their brain, does that relieve some anxiety for them?
0: It does. Yeah. Because if if you know, if you know why your shoulder's hurting, you know what kind of therapy you need for it. Mm -hmm. If you have a headache, you'll find out what's causing the headache. So if kids have, if they can't read and they learn it's because of dyslexia that it's neurological, it doesn't mean they're stupid. It just means their brain is wired differently They can retrain their brain. They're not dumb. And then I always share with my students, the geniuses that, you know, the Walt Disney, Steven Spielberg, Albert Einstein, if they like theater you know, Tom Cruise, the Fonz, you know, I will share um, people who have had stardom and we, we have a gal on our, on our board. Her name is Christina Bakur and she ran for Miss California and she didn't make it, but she was in the top 10. And um, she was Miss Yosemite Valley. But she goes, she advocates and talks to the kids in school, different levels, letting them know, you know, if you h- struggle with reading, get the help you need. You can accomplish your dreams. You don't have to feel like you're a failure and you're stupid. Your brain's right. just working differently. So, But the schools need to help that brain, right? Amen. That's, Amen. You can't just tell the kids your brain works differently. Here's what you need to help retrain your brain. We need to take that step further. And what my inner struggle is, you know, I'm in a a training for it's been a year and a half already for Orton-Gillingham, which is the gold standard for reading. And it's pretty rigorous. It's like another credential and a master's. And I already have two credentials and two master's. And not everybody is an academic nerd. Good. I mean, I love learning and learning, but not everybody wants to go back to school for more training. And that's the challenge we have. You know, one in five kids has it. Um, so we need to give the teachers early ways to early, you know, identify it. Are they intelligent kids? These are the kids that I could have a great conversation with. And then I would get a great book series for my whole, I out of pocket, I bought all my students the book. Holes. You guys remember that movie? Mm -hmm. Made a movie of it. But before it was a movie, it was a very interesting book. And I was teaching third graders, and we would just, you know, go up and down the road reading. And my first year teaching, so I didn't know better than who who couldn't read. And this one smart student couldn't read at all. And when I saw his writing, he just couldn't write. And I, I saw a lot of those students in my class that way. They were the dyslexic children. And I learned years later they got put in special ed, but is that address uh, dyslexia? Was it being addressed? No.
2: Things we used to use. Oh, go ahead, Paul. Was that Paul? I was just. Go ahead, bro. Go ahead, Joe. Well, that's okay. (laughs) I was just going to say one of the things very quickly we used to use to hopefully get to the point. I, I hear you. You got to have a heart to be a teacher. You got to teach because you love students. You got to know the greatest thing in your life is not going to be a huge paycheck. It's going to be a student that comes back to you 20 years later and says, you changed my life Mm -hmm. and you made a difference. And the ground is left. You can make a level playing field for them. We used to use a simple saying with our teachers and was principal, uh, and it used to be, everybody's great at something. Nobody's great at everything. And if people can say, I'm real good at this, but you're better at that, and it was done on an attitude of love, it seemed like it helped the students an awful lot, and all it did was crack the door so specialists like you, Marianne, who really knew what they were doing, could come in, and they'd have an ear that was ready to listen on both sides so that the, what did you call that, the uh, angular gyrus of each side would be open to what you were saying. So... uh, Guys, I need to take a quick break right here for a moment to a segment, and then what I'm going to do is just throw it out there. Stephanie, Craig, think of something you want to ask ask the doctor, and we're going to go. I just want to take a moment and share with everybody. You know that our program is is sponsored by people who make donations and, and give because they appreciate what we're doing. I'm going to give you a simple address to go to. You all know it already, but hopefully you'll share it. It's simply the following, BBS Radio dot com forward slash capital r raising capital e expectations bbs forward slash raising expectations if you go there there'll be a little donation button that you can tab there are many people a lot of people don't want me to say it but there are many like the the uh the allens in eagle rock or the penis in garden grove or the Torbitts in richardson texas Or the Cabazids in Santa Rosa, California. And there are many, many people, others that I'm not using their name, that give from their hearts that are such a blessing to us. And I just want to thank those people we all do. And we want you to know uh, how special that you are to us. And there's one other thing we'd like to do tonight, and then I'm going to kick it off. I'm going to take one minute to do this. We lost a lot of great American patriots this week in Afghanistan. We lost young men and women who had committed their lives to serve their country, who loved the United States of America. And from the looks of some of them, must have some great teachers like Dr. Cintron, who cared about them when they were younger. So I'd like you to be invited with all of us to take just a moment of silence. I wanna ask God to be with their families. I received an email today from the young lady who passed away who uh, I was, she her life was taken because when the bomb went off, she charged to help those that were wounded, and they were waiting for them. Uh, as you know the story, so if you join me in just a moment of silence, I'm going to bring it back up and open it up. Paul, Steph, Tank, jump right in with any question you have. But let's let's just ask God in a moment of silence to be with these families. If you join me. Father in heaven, thank you for hearing our prayers and reaching out to those who you love. Father, bless them tonight. It's our prayer across the nation in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. We got five minutes, folks. Share some more.
0: You know one thing oh, I never shared about the research. Do you want me to share that? Sure. Yeah. Sure.
2: Okay. Absolutely. Don't Otherwise, me. we're going to bring you back a lot. Don't worry. Keep going. <laughs>
0: This is such an interesting story because some, I've spoken to two neural, neural, neuroscientists, neurologists, neurologists neurologists and neurologists, and one of them said, you are doing quantum science, Man. quantum physics. When you use music, you are doing something phenomenal. And another one said, what you're doing is amazing. What you need to do is get some music therapists involved with you. Do your research again. Have a single blind study where you don't know who's using music and who's not using music. And and I talked to a friend and I said, well, and he said, get a doctorate student to make this their dissertation. And I my doctor took me seven years. Um, I don't want to do this over seven years. Another friend Kai Adler in San Diego he's wonderful. He recommended I contact an organization called Wavi and they do EEGs and I contacted them. They can do this right away. They're going to work with us to do these EEGs to monitor brain activity so we're going to do the resting brain and the reading brain to see if the how the brain activity has changed over 16 weeks. So we're actually, we received a really nice grant. If we have a school who will partner with this grant, so share the funding. And we the school that wants to partner with us is requiring internal review board. So from Azusa Pacific University, the neuroscientist working with us is, is one of the doctors at the university. And he has a student who wants to get her doctorate. So she's gonna use this for her dissertation. And we expect, you know, the IRB should approve it in September. We should be starting in October. And so we're really excited. We have 15 tutors and two of the tutors are music therapists. And then two of the owners of the music therapy organization are helping with the single blind study.
2: Isn't that exciting? So
0: yeah. I I think the Lord has just pulled all the partners together. So he gets the glory for this research.
2: Stephanie, this is
5: awesome. Yeah, so I wanted to say that when we found out that our son had it, we didn't tell him what it was. We described it to him. Um, We were worried about him labeling and making excuses, honestly, is why we did not tell him the name of it. But we did get the Percy Jackson series because when I read about it, the main character, Percy Jackson, is dyslexic and has ADD, which both of our boys have ADD. And he loved the book and identified with him as a main character. And then within about a year and a half, somebody else was describing someone. And he said, I think I have that. And that's when he learned what it was called. But I think for um, kids or even adults to just be able to identify with someone that does great in some area of life that has the thing that you have, Mm -hmm. it just makes it relatable. And you realize you can overcome that or work around whatever that thing is. So just encouragement to parents out -hmm. there.
0: Well, that was really mm-hmm. smart of you to do that with your son, and he, yeah, mm-hmm.
3: beautiful. Amen. Good point, Paul.
2: Excellent point.
3: I tell you, it is so, uh, Marianne. I'm so glad that you're taking a, a very complex thing um, and getting some assistance and help to to get get the word out. And, and some wise person said one time, "It's a very simple thing to make things complex, and a very complex things to make." <laughs> <That's laughs> right. Absolutely. I was just thinking, uh, you know, as a as a final thought, uh, I I don't know. I've shared a number of times with people if if uh, if my textbooks in college uh, had been in comic book form, I would have aced every test. You know. Uh, because my uh, I'm, I'm a visual learner uh, and uh, always disappointed when there weren't any pictures in my textbooks. <laughs> uh, but right. being sensitive yeah. uh, to those who struggle uh,
0: yeah.
3: is so That's important. It. And thank you for sharing, Marianne. Thank you.
2: Oh, it's been thank my pleasure. You. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Tank and Steph. we got 45 seconds to go off the air, but we'll just have to have Dr. Sintron back again. What do you say, folks? That'll be home because we got we need to follow what's happening, huh, Steph? See what's going on with this, and uh, that'll be great. So with 30 seconds to go, we want to thank you, right, folks? And uh, we commit to pray for you and to pray for this team. This is fantastic, and so keep us posted. And they do know where to go. We've got your address and everything for them to find you. We're set to go. And anybody who gets a hold of us, we'll send them directly to you. Awesome. Thanks for being with us. Thanks so thanks much, so and much. say hi to Will for us. Okay, <laughs> say hi, right. Okay. okay, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for tuning in to Raising Expectations tonight. Boy, I've been raising my expectations. Our family, our team has, and I hope that you're encouraged all the way. God bless you. God keep you until we see you next week, and uh, we're looking forward to being with you. Have a great week. Remember to pray, friends. Thanks for joining us on this week's program of Raising Expectations. We profoundly hope you found it engaging and at times humorous, but most of all, uplifting so that we may with you one topic at a time each week become more encouraged to move forward to an exciting future in, as we always say, this thing called life in America today. So let not your hearts be troubled, your family finances, faith, freedom. It can be a great future as we talk Listen, respect, and pull together. Please let me hear from you. You can reach me at 972-922-8556. That's 972-922-8556. Or Joe Schofield on Facebook or LinkedIn. It would be a pleasure to know you and we hope you'll listen in again next week on the BBS Radio Network.